Jonathan. We're going to get started today. Um, again, it's chapter 18. Um, this article, um, it's article 15. It's the, the Christian and the social order. Um, anytime nowadays people hear the word social, I think they say, oh boy, what are we fixing to talk about here? Is this some, you know, liberal stuff? Well, th this is this is not that. Um, this is talking about society and the Christian impact, the, the Christian role in society. Um, and it kind of goes everywhere in this one. And so what I'm going to hopefully attempt to do is, is kind of keep it uh, on a path that will get us through the study in a, in a, in a reasonable way. Uh, reasonable uh, state of mind and obviously time time frame. Um, so I'm going to just kind of start reading this statement and 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 I will stop um, occasionally and, and and make some comments as we make our way through it. Um, it says all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our lives and in human society. Um, so we as Baptists find in Scripture the mandate um, to make the will of Christ supreme not only in our own lives, but in all human society. And so you, you think back to, for example, the Lord's Prayer. Um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Jesus didn't just teach us to pray, Lord, help me to do your will or your will to be done in my life, but your will to be done on the earth. Um, so... Uh, right out of the gate, what we see is, is that it is our belief that we are to be good and um, functional and valuable citizens uh, in, in the world. Um, I know that it is very, very difficult to stay engaged in what's going on in the world now, um, but I think that we have at least a bare minimum responsibility to know, and at least to know enough to where we can act when it needs be. Um, a Christian ought to always cast an informed vote, right? We, we, you know, we, we, we would always, we should be saying what, you know, what, what in the voters' box, on the voters' ballot, we should be saying what we believe God is saying, um, whether that be a topic that we're voting on, a law, an ordinance, or what have you, or whether that be a candidate, we need to be voting um, for the candidate we believe that the Lord would be leading us to. Um, understanding that no situation that we vote on is perfect, no candidate is perfect, um, we've got to find a way to vote the will of the Lord in that. Um, and, and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg here, but, but that's part of it. We should be good citizens, seeking to be good citizens and to see um, the will of God done. Well, we know that um, whether it's good or bad, and in some cases it's both, um, government actually kind of sets the tone for the morality and, you know, kind of the social order, the way that things work. And so that's obviously something that we have to pay attention to. Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can truly and permanently uh, can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now that's quite a mouthful, but what it uh, means is that anything that we're doing to try to help society become followers of the will of God, it's going to have to be rooted in our strategy to lead people to become Christians, to, to be followers of Jesus. 
Um, you cannot expect act, uh, lost people to act like saved people. You just can't do that. You can't expect for you know sons of the devil to act like sons of God. They will not. And so um, any change that we hope to affect, you know, part of that strategy and a key part of that strategy has got to be sharing the gospel and helping them to to overcome um, the, the one thing that they can't overcome, which is the problem of sin. Then we can, you know, see behavior change. Um, it, it's it's so you, you hear people say, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, um, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Well, even if you teach a person to be righteous, you know, to be righteous, if you don't teach them about Jesus, they're still not saved. They can live the rest of their life, do you know, kind of following the principles of righteousness. But if they don't know Jesus, they're not saved. And so we have to recognize that that has to be a key part of our strategy. Now, here comes this sentence. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. One really important part of this is in the spirit of Christ. Okay, so how do we oppose these things in the spirit of Christ? Um, do we do we stand outside of an abortion clinic and hold up signs that say you're going to hell if you have an abortion? That's not the spirit of Christ, is it? That we didn't see Jesus do that. Um, now we saw Jesus speak very, very powerfully and harshly to religious people, but when he was dealing with people that were sinners and they knew it, sinners and and there was nothing that that they were trying to hide or, or anything like that. When Jesus spoke to those people, it was always with compassion. It was always with love. Sometimes he used a story. Sometimes he just met a need. Um, and, 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 and many times he would, he would go from meeting that need or telling that story to really a deep conversation about, you know, what they need in their life. And so, um, with Jesus, this, it was a, it was a, um, normally a person to person interaction. Uh, it was done in love. It was done with patience, um, but he did not ever tiptoe around the truth. So you think about the story of the woman at the well. Um, uh, in, in that particular story, Jesus is uh, talking to this woman um, who is, I mean, by by first century standard, she is a sinner, right? I mean, that's that's you know, she is um, she has had five husbands. Um, the, per, the man that she's living with now is not her husband. So by first century standards, that would make her a sinner. She would be an outcast in almost all societies, maybe not the Greeks or Romans, but certainly in the Middle East, she would have been an outsider. And so Jesus is talking to her. Now, if he's trying to have a friendly conversation, which he does have more or less a friendly conversation with her, um, the, the tendency might be to be a little bit of a people pleaser and say, well, you know, you've made some mistakes, but, but that's not what Jesus does. J Jesus says, you know, you've said rightly that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man that you live with now is not your husband. It was direct, but it was with love. And it was after he had spoken to her about good things, that he had spoken to her about life. He had spoken to her about the water that, that, that if you have this water, you'll never be thirsty again. He's already offered her, you know, that, that entrance into salvation before he confronts her in her sin. But when he confronts her in her sin, it is direct. Um, it, it, he's not tiptoeing around it. He's not softening the blow. Um, he's not twisting things because it's easier. 
let's be honest, it is easier to twist things around a little bit to soften the blow if you've got to talk to somebody about something. Um, so one thing that you might deal with, so, so with racism, um, this is not so much anymore, um, but you know, with, with, with older generations, um, they're, they're not so much uh, always racist, but sometimes their vocabulary needs a little bit of an update. You know, I, I can remember sometimes not telling any stories, but I can remember sometimes some of my older family members that have gone on to be with the Lord would say words and, and say things that, you know, you just don't say anymore. Um, the way to handle that is, is to kind of directly, you know, but at the same time, um, do it in love and, and have that conversation. Now, that's really not, because a lot of those folks have passed on, the racism that we see now is a lot more dangerous. Um, people call it reverse racism, which is just a stupid concept in and of itself. If, if you hate somebody because of the color of their skin, that's racism. And it doesn't matter what color you are or what color they are. Um, we are seeing a, a brand new um, avenue into racism. You, you hear about critical theory. Or critical race theory is what they call it, but it's it's still critical theory. What is critical theory? Critical theory is Marxism. Okay, so Marxism at its at its very basest point says that there's always going to be oppressed people. There's always going to be oppressors. There's going to be the, the 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 owners and the workers, pure and simple. And for a, a, a society to ever be equal, what has to happen is is the workers have to rise up in a revolution and overthrow the owners, okay? So that is the philosophy that critical race theory uses. But instead of saying owners and workers, they say white people and people of color. And so then they kind of flip that around. And, and, and so you have to understand, why do you have riots in the street? Why do you have people firebombing police officers and things like that? There must be revolution. In Marxism, there must be revolution. Um, some people interpreted revolution to be more of a social revolution. Others, and, and many of them, interpreted revolution to be a violent thing. But that's what it is. And so when you hear people say, oh, we don't need critical race theory being taught to our children in school, they're right. It is racism. Uh, the way that it's being used, it is racism because it is saying that white people are evil, period. Are we evil? All people are evil, right? The, the, the heart is, uh, of man is deceitful above all things. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. But if you're going to say white people are evil because of that, you're going to have to say that every other color of folks is, is evil too. So we need to stand up against racism. And in this case, what needs to happen is an educated measured response to the things that people are saying. Um, it doesn't need to be rage. And, you know, we don't need to show up at school boards and pitch a fit and get arrested. That's not going to make anybody's case. Um, but what we do need to do is give thoughtful responses to what is this and, and, and how can we overcome it? And so how do we, you know, we, we, we would respond to that um, individually. We, we could respond to that as a group, but as a group, it's almost never effective. Uh, individually is probably the way to respond in, in that situation. Um, so uh, we should oppose racism, every, every form of greed. Um, this statement is why Southern Baptists historically have been against gambling also. Um, so Southern Baptists have typically... Um, been encouraged to vote against state lotteries, um, casinos, uh, or any other form of uh, gambling. 
um, or not participate in it. Uh, because in a way, gambling can be a form of greed. It, it's, a, it's a dishonest gain. You know, you're, you give a little hope to get a lot. Um, but greed, it looks a lot of different ways. Um, since I'm kind of on the topic of, of Marx, uh, I will talk about this just a little bit. So from Marxism comes communism, right? Um, well, the thing that Marx was talking about was the fact that you had people who had money. Uh, and, and they, not only would they not help poor people, uh, which if we understand, right, that's, that's part of the gospel, or not part of the gospel, but part of the Christian life is helping the poor, which we'll get to that in a second. Um, but they would, they would not help. They would not offer help or assistance or any way. But instead, they created um, uh, systems that would ensure people stayed poor. Um, so Marx was right about that. He was wrong about the solution. He was right about the fact that they created these systems to, to, to keep people poor. So that is greed as well. So you, you take, for example, um, um, uh, a, a powerful company. Um, and, and I think a lot of these com companies have amended their ways, but like your Walmarts of the world, your, 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 your fast food chains or things like that, um, they make billions every year, but then they pay their workers peanuts, right? So, so that would be uh, one of those areas. And, and that's kind of the whole, the industrial revolution, all of that happened where people were making a lot of money. They were paying the workers very little money. They weren't providing for their safety, things like that. Um, so that would be another form of greed. Uh, obviously, any form of theft, any form of corruption, all of these would be forms of greed uh, and something that, that, that we as Christians should speak out against. Um, so should we speak out um, against every company that makes a lot of money? No. The, the time that we speak out uh, is, for example, uh, if, if there is a company that uses wood as part of their product of what they sell, and they don't responsibly replant when, when they send loggers out after wood, right? That, that would be a moment that we would speak out because they're not doing what they need to do responsibly, so they're being greedy, right? They're just, we'll go to this force, and we'll go to this force, and we'll go to this force. Those kinds of things. We would speak out against things like that. Uh, we would speak out against um, abuses to people, abuses to... Um, uh, to, to creation, anytime that, that there was something going on that wasn't right, that's when Christians would need to speak out. So all forms of greed, selfishness, roughly the same thing. Vice, that's a very, very broad word. For so small, it's very broad. So, so that, that could be anything that isn't listed here in other places. So it could be drug use. It could be any number of things. But we would speak out against those things. Um, all forms of sexuality. So it lists adultery, homosexuality, pornography, um, those three things pretty much wrap up or uh, along with saying all forms of se uh, sexual immorality pretty much wrap up everything. So here's the plain and simple from the Bible. Doesn't have to get any more complicated or anything like that. God designed sex to be between a man and a woman after they were married, period. Every other use of it is wrong. Every other use of it is sinful. So it, whether it's depicting it on some kind of picture or video or, or, or even in the written word, whether anything like that, so, so that would be wrong. Um, any, any combination that involves you know, two men or two women or two people that are confused about their identity and they're not married, that's still sinful according to God. So, so sexual immorality in all of its forms were to speak out. Now, homosexuality and then the whole alphabet community, that's where the, uh, the church got a pretty big black eye because we responded 
We definitely responded, but we did not necessarily respond with love, not in all cases. And, and, and we didn't know how. And so, and apparently the church still doesn't know how. So there is a difference between, again, holding up a sign and saying, you know, if you're gay, you're going to hell. That's not the response. That's not how Jesus would handle it. But also what Jesus wouldn't do is put his arm around the person and say, everything you do is okay, I accept you. That's also not what Jesus would do. There's somewhere in between where we can speak um, calmly, rationally about what Scripture says about homosexuality and, and all the derivatives that come from that, um, but say, we love you, um, but, but this practice, this activity is sinful. Now, what we want is for, to share the gospel with you so that you can know Jesus and then allow him to put it in your heart to avoid sexual sins, to avoid any kind of sinful thing, um, and, and, and walk the path of righteousness. That's what we want to do. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a path in there that, that shows love, shows compassion. It, we're not casting anybody out. We're not saying that nobody, you know, people can't be a part of, of the community. But what we are saying, and, and this kind of goes back to, to, to that second really long sentence, where everything we do has to, has to lead to the gospel. Here's how you're going to overcome these things. Here's how you're going to separate your life from, from, from the, the, the sins that have identified you for so long. You're going to follow Jesus Christ. That's, that's how we get there. It's got to be loving and compassionate. Um, I believe this is a one-on-one -on -one thing. I don't believe that a, 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 you know, yes, a church message before we did all of the, 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 the cruel things that we did. Sure, a church message would have, would have made a difference. But now I think it's a person by person thing where if you have somebody in your life that, that, that walks that path, having that encouraging conversation with them saying, hey, look, I really care about you. You know that I love you, um, but you also know that I'm a Christian and I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that this thing that's a part of your life is wrong. It's sinful. Now, we all have sin in our lives, but we have to go to Jesus. When we go to Jesus, what we find is a savior. You want acceptance, he's going to accept you. You want love, he's going to love you. But he's also going to change you. The Bible says we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. That means we're going to start living and looking like him. And so he's going to change you just like he changed me. There's things that I don't do anymore that I used to do. So we're going to have to have that conversation in love, in compassion. And, and a lot of times you've got to earn the right to do that. In other words, you've got to build a relationship with people. You've got to spend some time with them, um, and, and, and Jesus did that. You know, he got accused a lot of times, oh, he goes out and he eats with sinners. He goes out and, you know, he, he spends time with people that he shouldn't spend time with. Well, Jesus did that so that when the opportunity, you know, came, and he made it, he made the opportunity happen, but, but he could talk to them about their lives, and he could talk to them about how to live for him and, and, and live um, as, as, a, as, as a child of God. So anyway, uh, and, and all of these other things, um, and, and, and look, we could go through these kind of um, forensically. We could talk about adultery and how it destroys families. Um, the Bible would call anything, uh, any kind of sex between a man and a woman outside of marriage, it would call any of it adultery. Um, so, so teenagers, you know, that aren't married to nobody yet, that would still be adultery. Um, people that are married, all, all of those kinds of things, that would all be adultery. So, so it's just not designed for that. That's not why God gave us that. All right. So moving on, it says, we should work to provide for the orphan, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. Now, 
And let me go ahead and read the next one because I want to link it all together. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. All right. So here's the thing. When we talk about um, charity, uh, when we talk about the mercy ministries of the church, they do need to be comprehensive. Um, we, we need to be looking out for those that cannot look out for themselves. That's going to be orphans um, or, or uh, practical orphans. Um, and, and so what that might mean, or, or widows and practical widows, um, what that might mean is people that maybe they do have a mother or a father. Maybe they do have someone, um, but they're not getting the help and the assistance that they need. Well, the church in its mercy ministries is, is, is supposed to, to work out, work that. And, and so that would be the church, but it would also be the individual. And in many cases, um, there's going to be somebody, you know, uh, and, and, and you may find yourself thinking, Man, I wish somebody would help that person. Do you want me to ruin your night? Probably what, what's happening is God's telling you, 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 you're the person to help that person. You know, you, you help that person. You do what you can to help that person and assist that person. Um, that's that's going to be kind of tough in a lot of cases. But maybe that's that's what he's talking about here. So Christians for a very, very long time after Roe v. Wade lobbied for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. We wanted to get rid of abortion, you know, just out of the country. That's the right answer. We don't want abortion in the country. Um, we, we've talked about that before, but so here's the reality. Um, I've heard, you know, a lot of arguments, and, and most of them are very easily dismissed. Um, what about, you know, women that are abused or raped or, or, or whatever? Well, you take all the abuse, all the rape, all of the um, non-consensual or too young, which is the same thing, all of those pregnancies, you put them all together, they, they make up less than 2% of all the abortions for, performed in America. Um, the vast majority of, of abortions, so there's about 7% of abortions that are for the health or life of the mother. Uh, some of those that make up that number, it's kind of questionable. Um, but when we talk about the, the, the vast majority, so like 92 to 93% of all abortions that happen in America, um, they are abortions of convenience. I don't want a kid right now. I can't afford a kid right now. I don't need a kid in my life. We just got married. We don't need to, to have this child right now. All those kinds of things. Those are all abortions of convenience. All of those. I can't condone any of that. Well, I can't condone any abortion, but I certainly can't condone those. So I've heard those arguments and, and none of those really, really hold water. Well, when you get down to the, um, another thing, people say, well, people are going to have abortions no matter what. Well, I agree with you. People are going to do that, but people are going to murder people as well. Do we just legalize that because they're already going to do it? No. Um, and so I've heard people say, well, they're going to do it anyway, so we might as well make sure that it's safe, that it's medically safe. And, and, and so here's my thing. Can we do that? Do we have the technology, the resources to do that? Yes, absolutely we do. But should we? Should we enable? So do you enable sin in others, um, in other ways? Um, do you hand constantly hand money to a drug addict? Would, would that help them? Do you constantly, you know, bring a bottle of whiskey to an alcoholic? Would that help that person? Um, you know, do, do you enable sin for people in other ways? If the answer is no, then you wouldn't enable sin like that. You wouldn't make it simpler. You wouldn't make it safer. You wouldn't make it easier. Don't remove the consequence for something just, just because you can. Don't do that. Sometimes the consequences have to land without consequences. We don't learn things. I mean, we just simply don't learn things. And so don't remove that. 
on the other hand. So now that we have seen um, the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, states are deciding now and passing legislation now about who's going to allow it, who's not going to allow it. Um, Alabama, I expect them to have a pretty hard line that they're not going to allow it for pretty much any cause. That's been the case, and they're, they're putting more legislation out, and I think that's going to follow along the same line. Um, so what is the church's response to that? Do we celebrate through our hands and say we won, now we can go home? No, not at all, because there are going to be children that are born unwanted in Alabama. There are going to be children that are going to be born, and those are going to be your practical orphans. Their families aren't going to have the money or the resources, and I use the term family pretty loosely because a lot of times it's going to be single mothers. They're not going to have the resources to to raise that child. And so what would be the Christian response there? How would we um, stand in for those kids? Well, that's going to mean adopting. That's going to mean becoming foster families. That's going to mean, you know, establishing in, in, in a lot of cases cases, you know, homes or, or places where these kids can come. If they're unwanted, let's make a place for them. Because what we know is that there have always been more Christians wanting children than there have been Christians having children. People deal with infertility issues. People deal with all kinds of other reasons why they don't have or can't have kids. And so when, when, when we know that there's always another Christian family that would be able to take a kid, whether that be for a short time or whether that be for an extended time, we need to organize that. We need to marshal our resources and, and organize that. Now, that would be, in some cases, an individual response, but mostly that would be an institutional response. Um, but those things have to happen. Um, and if we want people to get off drugs, we've got to have, we've got to, to, to support programs to, to help people get off of drugs. If we want people to get unaddicted to other things that they are addicted to, we need to support programs that help people to get unaddicted to those things. We have to, to take an active role. You can't just sit back and say, well, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. Okay, you know, the sky's blue, water's wet. Congratulations, Captain Obvious, you said something. Now, what are we going to do about it? And so that's where the Christian response is. And, and that's what this article is talking about, is that, that Christians have to have an effect. We have to be involved in the social order in such a way that we're actually, we're actually doing something for the good. Um, and, and so it says every Christian uh, should seek to bring um, uh, industry, uh, government and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. Um, I spent just a little while recently reading um, quotes from people in like the 1800s. Um, they were talking about liberty. They were talking about freedom. They were talking about uh, morality and things like that. And to a man, every one of them, um, even like Ulysses S. Grant, which I don't know why he would make this comment because I've read enough about him to know he didn't follow all this, but neither did anybody else. Uh, the Websters, um, uh, Daniel Webster, and he had a, uh, another one, Noah Webster, I think. Um, but, but tons of people, Benjamin Franklin, lots of folks made these comments, and, and they were talking about morality, they were talking about freedom, they were talking about liberty, things like that. And every one of them, to a man, said, we know that we, do, we have these freedoms because of the Bible, because of God, because of, because of where it comes from, we have these things. And if you go back to the founding documents of this country, uh, they were based on Scripture. They were based on the idea that people are equal, that people are free, because we find that truth in Scripture. Now, here's the thing. We are getting in a society that is increasingly more secular. Um, and, and so things that were regulated by Christian principles, and, and you're, you're seeing here industry, government, society as a whole, those things were regulated by Christian principles. Not to say that everybody was a Christian, um, but 
you know, think about a time where everybody knew that, that, that businesses should close on a Sunday and give their workers the opportunity to go to church. Think about a time when everybody knew that, that you should stay married. Whether you did or not, that was, that was different, but everybody knew that you should. Now people don't even give it a second thought. Um, you know, think, think about a time where people knew that, that businesses should be responsible. Well, none of that is, 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 is mandated anymore because we're, going, we're, we're making our way towards an amoral society. Not necessarily saying that they're evil, although they are, but they don't have morals. They don't have guiding principles. Um, and, and, that, and that's going to make them do anything uh, that they find uh, expeditious to do. So, for example, um, today is the 40-year anniversary of Ronald Reagan's um, uh, evil empire speech. He called the Soviet Union an evil empire. And... Um, Everybody hated that, or not everybody, but but uh, a lot of people hated that at the time because they were like, we need to, to appease the Soviet Union, we need to moderate, we need to be kind of in the middle, we don't need to have this extreme view that Ronald Reagan had. Um, well, after the Soviet Union failed, um, Adrian Rogers uh, was a, uh, he was a pastor in, in Memphis for years and years. He was one of the the, the, the best speakers and preachers I've ever heard. Um, he's, he's passed on now, but he was one of the preachers that got an opportunity to go behind the Iron Curtain after the Soviet Union fell. So he got to go into some of the countries, talk to some of the people, and even some of the military leaders, former military leaders of the Soviet Union. They were able to talk because the Soviet Union had fallen and, and that, that, that power of the KGB and all those other things was gone, so they, they spoke. Um, and, and one thing he came back and said was they were never going to stop making nuclear weapons. They hoped that America would, but they were never going to stop making nuclear weapons because th they're not a moral people. Uh, communist Russia was, was uh, atheistic by design, like by constitutional mandate. So, so they didn't believe in God. They don't believe in God, so they don't have morals. God's the only way we get morals. Um, and so they didn't have morals, so they would tell us, hey, we're going to stop making nuclear weapons. And, and, and But they were lying, you know, just trying to get us to, to stop making nuclear weapons. Um, what we have to realize is that a society without God will not be moral. It can't be moral. It will be um, survival of the fittest. It will be, you know, the strong dominates the weak. It will always be that um, because it's not moral. If there is a moral society, uh, it, it has to be based on God. And so circling back once again to the, to the Marx thing, Marx said that there were, that there were their owners or powerful people, and then there were poor people or weak people. And the only solution to that was for the poor people to rise up and take what the rich people had. There's another solution for that. Let's share the gospel. We share the gospel. Uh, you're not going to win everybody, but we share the gospel. We build principles of, of, of you know, biblical nature within government, within industry, within society, and we see things begin to balance out. So if you look at the extreme poverty that people live in when they're in a socialist society or they're in a communist society, and then you look at what capitalism is, um, we are. We may not necessarily be rolling in money, but compared to people in communist countries, the common people in socialist countries, we are rolling in money. So I'm I'm thinking about um, Venezuela. You know, they found oil, and and it was supposed to be you know the salvation for them, but it wasn't. Why wasn't it? Because they were a socialist 
country. And so the people didn't benefit from that at all. Um, you know, they were thinking, oh, we're all going to wind up with more now. We're going to share it all. We're going to wind up with more because we have oil and we're going to be selling it and making a lot of money. No, you're still going to be just as poor. And, and, and what's worse, you're going to have the same amount of money, but you're going to have a, an insane amount of inflation and, and, and you're going to be destitute anyway. Um, it, it is many of the people coming across our borders um, over, over the last decade or so have been Venezuelan. They're running away from that that situation, that 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 horrible economy thing. So I'm not saying that capitalism is right. I'm not saying that capitalism is the only way. But what I will say is is that when we look at capitalism, people have access to a better life than they do in communism and socialism. And so that's why I would support capitalistic principles versus socialistic principles. Um, so when you look at it, we're trying to help, um, or it is our responsibility to try to help make sure that godly principles live in the world today, that live in our country, that live in the world today. And so to do that, We've got to be a good citizen all around. We've got to give when we need to give. We've got to work when we need to work. We've got to help when we can help. We've got to be um, aware of what's going on in the society around us and, and have that reasoned, rational, loving response from the Bible of, of what is going on in this world. So to kind of finish it, uh, it says, in order to, um, uh, to, to, to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. So anybody that's willing to work with us, we've got to be ready to work with them. Um, that doesn't mean that, that you go and take abuse from somebody that doesn't want to listen to you and doesn't want to, doesn't want to hear from you. Um, because, because there are those things, um, you know, it's probably not the best idea for a Christian to show up at a, you know, an anti-Trump rally or an anti-pro-life um, rally or an anti-whatever and, and try, try to, to have a conversation there because those are going to be some violent conversations usually. That's maybe not the time and the place, but there are other times and other places where you can have those conversations um, where we can actually speak truth, we can speak love, and we can do it in a way to where people are prepared to listen. There's times people are ready to listen. There's times people are not ready to listen. We know that, you know, I mean, we, we all know that. that that's true for us. There are times when I'm not ready to listen and there are times when you're not ready to listen, but then there's times when you can listen, when you can hear um, what people are trying to say. And so for the Christian, we've got to be ready at any time to, to help, to reach out and to serve. So how do you do that? Well, one thing you do is you make sure that you don't compromise your loyalty to Jesus. So should a Christian befriend uh, a homosexual. Yes, we should reach out. Uh, but there needs to be a boundary and there needs to be a limit there because there's only so much that we can do uh, because we don't want to compromise our Christian witness and our walk. And so we've got to reach out to that person, talk to them, spend time with them, try to show them Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, it's going to be no good to just tell a homosexual that they shouldn't be homosexual. That's going to be no good. Okay, so if you tell a fish, don't go in the water. Don't be in the water. Don't be in the water. Well, they're fish. They're going to be in the water, right? The only way to get a fish to, to, to be out of the water is to transform it into something else, right? Um, you tell a homosexual, don't be homosexual. Well, that's, the, the, in their mind at least, that's their identity. That's what they're going to be, right? So you got to get Jesus in there. Allow him to transform them. 
once they are transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, by His cleansing blood, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the new life, then you can have that conversation about, hey, that old way, that old way's got to die. It, it, it can't be there anymore. So what is the Christian response like nationally to things like that? Well, we say what the Bible says. But on a one-on-one, -on -one, we've got to try to lead someone to the Lord, and then we can begin to work on those other things. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like saying, I've, I've got to get well so I can go to the doctor. Nobody does that. You go to the doctor when you're sick, and so we've got to bring people to Jesus when they're sick and then let Jesus be the physician that heals them you know, emotionally and spiritually and, 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 and leads them to righteous life. What questions or comments do you have? There's so much here, but what, what do y'all have? Yeah, see, I'm still really, really bad at getting questions or comments, but there, there's a lot here. And um, well, well, let me ask a more pointed question. What are ways uh, that you believe you've seen Christians or the church um, try to correct the social order in the wrong way? Have y'all seen some examples of that? Yeah, I would say that would be wrong. People aren't ready to listen at that moment. Yeah. What's some other example? What's what's the name of that church? Um, the one that was always protesting. It was in Arkansas, I think. Kansas. Uh, can't remember the name of it. Wood something, I think. Well, they were known for showing up at abortion clinics. Um, they were they were known. I think they also would show up at executions and be in you know like in favor. Um, and that's something I didn't talk about. Uh, should Christians support the death penalty in uh, the country, like in a legal sense? Yeah, we should. I mean, it's in scripture. Yes, we should. Should we celebrate it when it's actually used? No, no. Stay home that day. That, that's not something that you, that you should do. Um, we, we don't celebrate when something like that happens. You know, um, do the wicked deserve to be punished? Well, sure they do. But that's not something that we celebrate. Uh, I mean, I, I, honestly, it, that's one of the worst looks that you could have. You got them. It's like, I forget, it's, it's not Woodstock, but it's Westboro. like Westboro, Westboro. I have W in there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they still do that anymore, but they were more fundamentalist. Um, and, and, and they had, so that, that's, that's a bad look. I mean, that, that's not a good look. Um, have we seen Christians maybe embrace some things that they should have rejected? What are examples of that? Yes, yeah, so um, Andy Stanley, um, and, and this wasn't something he just said. It was kind of a clip that got famous on the Internet a few weeks ago. But um, he, from the pulpit, uh, essentially said, I wish that my straight church members were like my homosexual church members. Uh, and, and expounded upon that in, in, in great, great detail. Um, that's problematic. I mean, so should, should 
should church be a place where a homosexual person can 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 attend? Well, sure. We, I mean, how else are they going to get the truth, right? We, we should definitely welcome people in. Um, but should they be walking around with the title church member and still be identifying that way? No. I mean, yeah, well, leadership positions, like service positions, that's what he was talking about. Um, and, and in that case, no, no, they shouldn't. And, and it's not that, you know, oh, we're so much better than them, but you have to at least be to the point where you're surrendered to Christ. And so what the Word of God says, I may not be able to fulfill the whole law, but I agree with it. And, and, and I will not reject it in my life. Um, I'm still going to make mistakes, but I do agree. I say the same thing about sin that God says about sin. I reject, um, you know, lifestyles that go against his word. You know, that, that's kind of where we have to be on that. Um, churches have compromised, and, and Andy Sinley is one example, but churches have compromised on, on things like that. Um, and, I, and I would say be very very careful uh, uh, about that line because that's one of the sentences in this article said, you know, yes, you've got to try to work with these people, any person in goodwill, believer or non-believer, but you can't compromise your loyalty to Jesus. Your loyalty to Jesus comes first. If, if, if that person will not work with you without you accepting their sin, then they're not working with you in good faith. They're not. Because I don't have to accept somebody to work with somebody. I just, I just simply don't. Um, you know, and, 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 if, and if you've worked in any kind of workplace with a bunch of people before, you know, you can work with people without accepting who they are and their lifestyle and things like that. I mean, you don't sit at their table at the lunch break time. I mean, you just you you can still work with that person. Uh, and in a lot of cases, we can work with people. But but when they force us to say, oh, well, I agree with everything, you know, I, I agree with all that. I mean, you know, for, for me, if 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 I'm stuck in a situation um, and, and I hear people talking about things that I don't want to engage in and, and things like that. I don't feel like it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take over their conversation, but, but I, I won't involve myself in it either. Um, uh, because before you know it, you'll be, you know, they'll think you agree with them and you can't do that. So you, you got to find that, that way out of there. What else? All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together. And um, as we talk about the Christian's responsibility in society, uh, we realize that, that we are not an island to ourselves. We, we don't just simply um, get saved and live and, and hope that, that we don't attract any attention. We, we do have to actually um, serve you in this world in some way. Um, Lord, we, we see so many times Jesus in, in one-on-one settings um, truly investing in a person's life. And, and I pray that you give us opportunities like that where one-on-one we can invest in somebody's life, we can encourage them, uh, we can show them uh, a different way, we can show them a, a different kind of life, a life that honors you, a life that brings glory to your name. Um, and Father, in, in terms of our nation, our government, and the world, uh, we individually may have very little impact um, but we as believers, if we pray, if we seek your face, and then we do the civic duties that we have, I do believe we can make a difference. I, I pray that you help us to, to see that, to believe it, uh, to follow after you in all ways. Um, let us trust you uh, that, that uh, even if, if we get into a situation where it seems like maybe as, as as, uh, as the situation develops, it's going to get awkward, it's going to get difficult. Let us trust that you will guide that situation just like 
um, Jesus with the woman at the well or other times where he confronted people in their sin, you had prepared them in advance to hear that word and to hear that message. And I pray that you help us to believe in you, uh, that you will do that for us as well. Make us faithful followers of you. Make us active followers of you. Uh, and I pray that we will always uh, maintain our testimony so that there's never a word that can be said against us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.